Hello and welcome to Why Do We Do That, a psychology podcast that deconstructs human behavior from the perspectives of social scientists, psychologists, and others that use applied psychology in their work. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Moyer. In this episode, I spoke with Dr. Gregory Gorelick. Greg is an evolutionary psychologist who currently works as a research scientist at a private mental health organization in Austin, Texas. The primary theme of our conversation was the idea of sexual selection. Sexual selection basically describes a type of natural selection where traits become beneficial, not because they directly help with survival per se, but they do help attract and retain mates, which ultimately helps that individual pass their genes onto the next generation. I enjoyed talking to Greg. Greg touched on a wide variety of studies within evolutionary psychology, and I think my conversation with him underscores how important evolutionary principles are to explaining human behavior. The human brain has so many documented patterns of behaviors the food we prefer, what we are afraid of, what we find attractive in mates. And it's fun to explore how our ancestral environment has influenced these preferences, some of which may not make any sense unless you're looking at them through the evolutionary lens. The impetus for wanting to talk to Greg was a piece he wrote for Quillette discussing possible evolutionary explanations for various BDSM practices. For those of you that don't know, BDSM is a term that describes various types of erotic role-playing using dominance or submission, bondage, etc. We didn't spend as much time as I would have liked to on this specific topic, but there's just so little research in this area that it's hard to talk at length without doing a lot of speculation. Nonetheless, we talked a lot about dominance and submission and how it relates to sexual selection, as well as other related studies in the evolutionary psychology literature. I hope you enjoy it. All right, I'm here with uh, Greg Gorelick. Uh, Greg, it's uh, nice to have you on the show. Good to be here. Uh, so, Greg, you're an evolutionary psychologist, and you have some, some very specific uh, research interests under the umbrella of evolutionary psychology. So why don't you just start off giving uh, a little bit of an overview of, of what those interests are? Sure, so um, after graduating with my uh, psychology degree, um, I got into evolutionary uh, thinking by reading Dawkins among other authors. Um, and then that kind of steered me into um, an, a study of, of sex differences and how male and female reproductive strategies uh, differ, um, how we've evolved different, um, you know, psychological um, manifestations of, of, um, of, you know, our reproductive um, kind of motivations um, and how that um, manifests itself in, in, in what we do and in, in who we're attracted to um, in, um, you know, how just, you know, our, our, you know, emotional, uh, physiological, and and just psychological perception of of of, of sexuality, relationships, or, you know, our romantic lives in general. Okay, and so um, how does uh, how does evolutionary psychology relate to um, to what are the specific principles that that are worth noting when it comes to 
uh, how males and females interact and uh, are attracted to each other? Sure. Um, well, Darwin was, I guess, the the foremost, um, you know, originator of um, of our understanding of sexual selection, which is basically that evolution doesn't only um, create adaptations and and um, you know physical and psychological and behavioral um, um, properties that are tied to survival, but also to successful reproduction. Right. So, so, for, so something that, that wouldn't help uh, an animal or a creature survive, but helps with uh, attracting a mate and that's attracting a, a specific mate. goal, right? Attracting um, or, or, or having, or, or, or attaining access to a mate. Um, so, just that arena of, of, of sexual reproduction, unlike say asexual reproduction, um, creates certain kinds of traits and behaviors that would not otherwise evolve. Um, Darwin famously, you know, felt sick to his stomach because he couldn't understand the peacock's tail. But when he realized that it was a sexually selected trait, that basically it was something that appealed to peahens, to female peacocks, um, well, that, that made a whole lot of sense. And you could have this evolution of a very kind of wildly beautiful and, and um, you know, almost useless traits. But if they serve a purpose in securing reproduction, then they would, um, then they would be favored uh, by selection. The other um, kind of foundational theory that, that um, is necessary to understand, not just um, sexual selection or sexual, you know, or the evolution of sexually selected traits, but specifically male-female differences in what is valued is uh, Trivers's parental, uh, parental investment theory. And that basically um, posits that whichever sex invests the most in reproduction, and that includes um, not just the, you know, the, 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 the sexual act itself, but also pregnancy, lactation, uh, child rearing, Whichever sex invests the most in those um, in those behaviors, that would be the more choosy sex. So, um, in 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 the case of most mammals, most mammalian species, it's the females who do the choosing, and the males who compete for access to um, to, to reproduction. Right. Yeah. So that that's uh, that that makes perfect sense, uh, right? So, um, that being said. Um, You've written a lot about about uh, some of these more specific um, behaviors related to uh, this this uh, dynamic between men and women and and sexual selected behaviors. Um, you've written a lot about dominance and subordination. Um, let's start with uh, let's start with with dominance. Is is dominance uh, one of is just dominance one of many traits that um, that uh, females f are, are looking for in, in, in males? I believe so, yes. Uh, I think, I don't want to get too bogged down in definitions, but, you know, when we talk about things like dominance, things like like power, things like, um, you know, even aggression, if we go to the extreme, um, in my mind, they are all manifestations of a predilection for competitiveness. Um, so men dispositionally, are more 
competitive than, than, than women. It's not to say that women are not competitive. In fact, there is such, such a thing as intrasexual or, or between women competition, um, you know, women, female, female competition. Um, but men particularly are prone to competitiveness because of that initial difference in parental investment, because there are fewer women um, who are who are open to, to mating, either because, you know, in our evolutionary environment, they're nursing, they're with a child, they're child rearing. Um, there are fewer women in the mating market, so to speak. And because of that, men have to contend with one another for access to those few reproductive opportunities that are offered by the, the, the few women in the environment. I so see. that so, creates... Yeah, so let me, let me rephrase or pair it back this to you because I'm, I'm trying to make sure I understand this correctly. So the idea is that, um, is that if, if women or females are trying to secure a mate, um, they want to, they want to see that the, the mate is competitive because if the mate is competitive, they'll be able to provide them resources as they, as they uh, go through the childbearing process. Yes, I mean, that, that, that is what I believe is happening. Um, so, you know, there has been some tension in the evolutionary literature ever since Darwin, where, you know, a sexually selected trait, um, you know, is, it, it, it's, it's difficult to parse how much of it is the result of, say, male-male competition. You know, is it just that some males can defeat their rivals and whatever traits allow them to defeat their rivals, those are the ones that are passed on because they just have access to the mates and how much of those how much you know is female choice responsible how much you know how much actively how much does female choice uh, explain you know the the origin of and, and maintenance of these traits you know basically you know is it because they're favored in the context of male male competition or are these traits favored um and you know by females themselves directly Right, and, and, and I, also, I believe that that it's that it's hard to parse the one from the other. And in fact, as some of the research I believe by Berkland on um, uh, and 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 some colleagues on on a variety of species, where they looked at all kinds of different ornaments um, that are favored by females, and then you know they they looked at all kinds of different armaments, which they kind of distinguish armaments from or, or ornaments, armaments that are favored in male-male competition scenarios. Um, when they looked at all of these sexually selected traits, they, they, they noticed that the majority of them and something like you know, 49 out of 50 or however many they, they looked at were favored, um, were, 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 were useful in, in both male-male competition and female choice. So there's this overlap between what is you know, um, beneficial to a, a male in, in, in defeating his rivals and what a female hones in on as being attractive. So what are, so what are your thoughts on the traits that would clearly differ in terms of what would benefit male to male competition and male to female uh, uh, bonding or, or, or pair bonding? So for example, um, you know, we've been talking about dominance and, and competitiveness a little bit, but if you have a male that expresses sort of um, an unrestrained kind of aggression, that could help them in male-to-male -male competition. But if that kind of carries over into their intimate relationship or, or relationship with the female, 
that could be disastrous, right? The the aggression just boils over. It turns into some sort of you know using aggression and and physical violence to you know try to obtain a certain outcome with their mate, right? So so how does how does how does that work? What is how does that dynamic play out? Yes, no, that, that's a very good point. Um, and that's kind of one of my motivations for researching this topic. Basically, how is it that, you know, we have this link between, you know, aggression and sexuality. And if you look at history, if you look at, um, you know, at, 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 you know, studies of, of, of human uh, sadomasochism, etc. You know, why is it that, you know, this aggressiveness is manifest in the sexual act. I mean, doesn't that pose a danger to your mate when you, you know, if, if you're actually being aggressive during the sexual act, during, you know, copulation, you know, how, how, why didn't selection select that, that link out, if, you know, how strong or how weak that link is, we can, we can get into. But, you know, that, that's my initial kind of like puzzle. You know, what, what makes it, you know, why is it, why, why have that link, you know, at all? Um, we understand why men are aggressive or competitive, um, you know, with other men, but why would it make sense or if, if it does make sense or if it doesn't make sense, you know, basically it, there is a need for an explanation as to why aggression is at all transferable to the sexual act between, a, a, you know, a man and a woman. Yeah, so that's a very I, good. Yeah, I, I find it, it, it seems, it seems interesting there's this common theme in terms of using evolutionary psychology to explain behavior where um, where like a little bit of something is great, but too much causes negative outcomes. Um, and I'm, I'm fascinated with that aspect of, of the explanatory process. Um, so it leads me to a, a specific question I have for you about assertiveness, right? So um, if you think about I mean, I think it's not controversial to say that that females tend to prefer more assertive. So we're, we're talking about a little bit more modern versions of assertiveness now. But, you know, they prefer an assertive male in, in heterosexual relationships. Um, but the devil's always in the details because assertive in the sense of I'm choosing you know, I, I want a female wants someone to, to uh, the male to choose where to go to dinner is great. You get bonus, you get plus one for that. But if the assertive is, I choose who your friends are, assertiveness is now not a desirable trait. Women don't, that would be, that would not be an attractive trait. Um, so in terms, from what you understand about this dominance and, and, and assertiveness as being something, uh, that is selected for in the sexual sense. Um, how does how do these difference in behavior? What are the key behaviors that need that that will increase mate value versus not? Well, that's a very good question, Ryan. Um, and uh, I guess to to preface the answer, I just want to say that just because something is not palatable to us living in our modern environments. Um, where you have a boorish guy who controls his his partner's you know friendships, controls where where she goes, et cetera. I mean, obviously we rightfully scoff at it, but that doesn't mean that um, number one that doesn't happen. Um, you know that didn't happen in history or in some you know cultures today more than in others. And two, it doesn't mean that those behaviors are not adaptive. 
Uh, and in fact, when you look at, at research on birds, uh, mammals, and including humans, you see that mate guarding is, is, is a common phenomenon. And it, it, it doesn't just, you know, it's not just directed, you know, by men toward women or, or from men toward women, uh, or, you know, women also do some, some of their own mate guarding as well. Um, but because of men's physical strength and ability to, to um, be more successful at coercing their partners, um, it, it, it does seem to, to, to be more prevalent with respect to men's control of women's behavior uh, or men's proprietariness of women's behavior, women's sexuality. And this is culturally manifested in, in certain societies where they have, you have uh, the veiling of women, um, even female circumcision or, or genital mutilation as it is more accurately uh, described. Um, and these are all factors that need to be taken into account that, that yes, we, we can say that something is, is, is not, is probably not a result of female choice, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that it does it hasn't helped our male ancestors in some way. I'm not saying that it's an adaptation, but it doesn't mean that it, that it, that was not prevalent or is, is, you know, kind of, um, uh, it, it counteracts men's reproductive interests. Um, so what that, you're saying that, is, is sort of the, the, it's kind of like our appetite in the sense that humans, you know, crave salty, fatty foods and those appetite preferences were developed in pre-human ancestors because that it was the appetite for that fit the environment. It, it was, if you, if you had a craving for salty, fatty foods or high calorie foods, you were more likely to pass on your genes to the next generation. That when you couch that in the modern time, that appetite could have some negative consequences. And it sounds like you're saying that, that this sort of uh, being overly assertive and, and mate guarding where, you know, you're, you're, you're controlling your spouse's relationships theoretically that might've had some sort of benefit in the evolutionary environment, but now it's just, it's, it's, it's gone. It's bankrupt. Is that, is that kind of what that, what that, that mismatch theory is what you're referring to? It, it, it could be. Um, I, I suspect that it, 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 you know, that there were also, you know, mechanisms in place in our evolutionary environment that would mitigate some of this um, assertiveness. So that's, that's the other side of the coin. And particularly, you know, there's some research, I, I forget who the researchers are, that show that women who live close to their natal family, who live close to their fathers, their brothers, they tend to experience less sexual violence um, than women who live further away. And so, you know, in our ancestral environments, um, women, you know, as, as, you know, with our cousins, the chimpanzees were, um, we, we are a, a patrilocal species, basically, where women at a certain age, come, come puberty, I guess, they migrate away from their, you know, natal, um, natal, uh, you know, uh, natal camp, natal, natal tribe, natal um, clan. Mm -hmm. Um, and they seek out an, a, a, a different group where they, you know, can settle down, find a mate, and, and rear, rear children. Um, but, you know, in our evolutionary environment, that, you know, I don't think they trek that far. And so having your male relatives close by um, probably mitigated some of those, you know, coercive aspects of male sexuality. Um, okay. Okay. But they were still there. Right. Now, you've written about 
some evolutionary perspectives on uh, on BDSM. So, so more of a um, so. Could you just give an overview of of some of your thoughts and and how you feel that 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 uh, evolutionary psych psychology relates to uh, BDSM? Sure. So um, as I mentioned earlier, I guess my interest was in this paradox. Why is it that we allow aggression into the bedroom? You know, what what good does it serve either party? And that kind of led me onto you know a road of of research and speculation. Um, obviously, there has to be some evolutionary um, undercurrent. Uh, so, for example, when we look at um, the prevalence of of um, sadism and dominance versus masochism and submissiveness, and they're different, but for for the for you know our conversation's purpose, um, let's just uh, clump them together. Well, now, are we um, talking about so just the to step back for a second, are we talking about this is role playing within an intimate relationship? Yes, we're talking about consensual sadomasochism in the modern world. Okay. So when you look at who the sadists and who the masochists are, in general, men are just more interested in all kinds of weird sexual. I don't want to call it weird. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I, I refuse to judge sexual practices that don't harm anyone as 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 as, as wrong or bad or, or weird or whatever. But right. if you look at all kinds of sexual proclivities that are outside of the norm. It's mostly men who are interested in those kinds of activities, but with so whether it's dominance or 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 or, or submission, it's it's guys are, are predominantly the ones who are you know kind of interested in uh, dominatrixes, not notwithstanding. Sure. But if you look at sex differences between within within that sphere already of who is more interested in dominance versus submission. Men are overwhelmingly more likely to, to to be interested in 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 dominance than women. That makes sense. And you know, obviously, it makes sense from an evolutionary perspective, and and that that is not to say that there are no sociocultural influences on the manifestation of these you know sexualities. Um, but you know, it does hint at something deeper underlying uh, the expression of 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 these um, you know these sexual behaviors. Um, and I, I do believe that that um, parental investment, specifically men's competitiveness, has something to do with the origin of 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 you know sadomasochistic behaviors, or at least sex differences with respect to to to, to bondage, sadism, masochism, um, submission, etc. So, um, so even though you, you've established that there's there's a preference for these. Uh, dominance uh, scenarios that that men prefer. Um, how how like what are your thoughts about when the script is flipped? Because obviously, you know, we've heard of um, whether it's in television or maybe you even know someone where there's the the high powered businessman and he mm -hmm. uh, he goes to uh, you know to a, a dominatrix or whatever and be, and becomes becomes dominated, right? Um, for sexual pleasures or something like that. Um, like, how does, you know, how does, how do these examples fit into the narrative that, uh, that evolutionary psychology is contributing to some of these BDSM practices? Right. Well, the short answer is, I don't know. The longer answer is that we are an exceptionally, um, 
malleable species when it comes to how culture influences our sexuality. Um, my guess would be that, you know, because we are fairly flexible in, in the development of our sexuality, it doesn't mean that there are no kind of canalized pathways that kind of, you know, create some guardrails for how we develop sexually, but they're, they're kind of far between. And in general, you know, my, my feeling is that men, because of their just, in, you know, generally higher sex drive, and we, we've, you know, we, we see this in research, you know, from across the world and, you know, looking at, at, uh, you know, interest in pornography, interested in, interested in, 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 um, you know, patronizing, uh, you know, sexual workers. Um, men are in general have a higher sex drive, but that sex drive can be manifest in all kinds of different ways. Um, and, you know, with respect to sadomasochism and, and why some men are into submission, um, you know, it, there's, there's still that aspect of power play. And whether they're on the receiving end or the giving end, it's still, in, you know, there's still, you know, that heightened kind of excitement from, from just power in general or power dynamics or, or differences in, 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 in who holds the power and, and whatnot. And men in general are more hierarchical. They're more hierarchically inclined than women. Um, again, necessary caveats that women can be just as competitive in, in some domains. But um, I, that, that would be my guess. And I, it's, still, it's still a big question mark as to, as to how these kind of differences develop and, and why we have certain, you know, kind of, uh, you know, sexual practices that are outside of the norm. So in, in, to your knowledge, uh, what, what other topics related to sexual preferences have been attempted to be tackled by evolutionary psychology? Because I, I'm just curious because um, to me on the surface, it seems like a stretch to use the evolutionary environment to talk about uh, you know, something as specific and modern as BDSM practices. Mm -hmm. um, has evolutionary psychology attempted to tackle other, other other sort of modern manifestations of sexuality, whether it's whether it's you know pornography, for example, uh, you know things like that. Is, is, is does evolutionary psychology have something to say about those domains? Yes, um, there there there's some work on 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 pornography, and of course, you know, I mentioned um, how you know men are the predominant um, you know viewers of pornography. Um, there is some work on the kind of the um, supernormal stimuli aspects of pornography where, you know, again, going back to that mismatch hypothesis where, you know, in our evolutionary environment, um, we weren't exposed to such, you know, I guess, exuberant manifestations of sexual behavior as we are when we, when, you know, when we are exposed to, to, to porn or, or even, you know, uh, just, just turning on a, you know, our, our television or whatever. Um, so, you know, in the sense that these super normal stimuli and, and basically they're, they're a grandized version of our evolved sexual, um, you know, or, or the kinds of, um, sexual behaviors that we were exposed to in our evolutionary environment because they're so exaggerated it kind of like you know it creates that you know supernormal stimulus where you're you're it, it might change your attitudes it might change your behaviors i 
don't know enough about um, the literature. It, it, from from my kind of understanding, they're they're, you know, the whole like notion of pornography addiction is a little overblown. The whole notion of um, you know. Of, of, of kind of like pathologizing a pornography use is, you know, that, that has, has gotten some pushback. Um, so whether that supernormal stimulus, you know, kind of uh, discussion, how much of, of it might explain our, our usage of pornography, et cetera, you know, that's, that's still kind of a work in progress. That's still up for, for, for debate. Um, there's also some research, some evolutionary research on specific you know, accoutrements of attractiveness, not necessarily sexual behavior, but there's some work on how high heels might accentuate certain um, certain traits that men find attractive. Um, I know uh, Leif El-Shawaf did some work on uh, the lumbar sacral ratio where, you know, wearing high heels creates a certain ratio around the, the lower back and buttocks area of a woman that could appeal to a man. Um, I, I'm not too familiar with, 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 with much of the work there, but there, there has, has been some, um, some work on, 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 on that, some work on uh, makeup and how um, women might be using makeup in intrasexual competition dynamics. So it's not necessarily just to appeal to men, although I suspect that it's, 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 it's a part of the, part of the story. Um, but it's also that, you know, makeup and, and luxury goods like like purses, for example, Gucci purses or whatever, might also be sig signaling status to other women. So you have some some female female competition dynamics there. Um, with respect to sadomasochism, I, 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 I'm not, you know, I wouldn't say that it's kind of like that it's a stretch. Yeah, from... well, so with respect to that, Obviously, the the there hasn't been a, a ton of attention played, you know, paid to this topic area within evolutionary psychology. Where would you like to see the research go? Where where would you, you know, what type of questions are most interesting to you when it comes to um, trying to describe and explain this area of human behavior? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I would be interested in kind of, you know, in, in, in understanding what are the psychophysiological um, underpinnings of this behavior. And I think just for, for much of the research in evolutionary psychology, I think an understanding of what goes on in our brains would be helpful. Um, I, I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's good that we're looking at behaviors, but understanding how, you know, one um, type of phenomenon, for example, sexual drive, sexual excitement, could be um, related to another type of phenomenon, which is power, aggression, um, dominance. I mean, seeing, seeing that, you know, how the two might be actually triggered physiologically, I mean, we have to um, look at that to, 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 to really answer these questions about, you know, the evolutionary history of these two um, factors. And of course, um, we cannot do, look at, 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 you know, our brains in isolation. We have to tie this ultimately to behavior and understanding the proximate level, kind of like the in the now level dynamics are occurring within a, a, a you know, a BDSM scenario, say, um, you know, that would, that would be helpful. And there, there has been some work, I'm forgetting, I believe Sagarin and, and colleagues have looked at, um, you know, kind of the testosterone or, or hormonal, um, you know, uh, 
factors surrounding the sadomasochistic experience. They actually went into, you know, a sadomasochistic scene or, or an event and they, you know, they actually took, uh, you know, um, salivary testosterone um measures from you know from before from during and 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 until after and there were some interesting um findings that that they that they found um but i i think you know looking at these proximate level issues is 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 it's helpful but in order for us to truly understand why it is that humans can engage in such behaviors within the sexual realm, we have to we have to answer some of these more evolutionary, some of these more distal level uh, questions. Okay, so I think the, so. The so the take home is if if you're listening and and you're on your way to your BDSM club, just be friendly towards the researchers that show up because we want That's we, right. we want to learn more about this topic. In, incorporate incorporate them into the kind of erotic scene in, in some way, you know, you know, make eroticize the, the science. The, the perfect yeah. So basically just maybe they could have a yes, a researcher fantasy. Do you like to be observed by someone wearing that's right. no no it's voyeur <laughs> voyeurs and that's that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably there's probably some interesting evolutionary dynamics there with the you know voyeurs and exhibitionists. Absolutely. Well on that note, uh, I'm going to uh, to wrap it up. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for being on and talking about uh, this this uh, this interesting path uh, down the road of, of evolutionary psychology. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was very enjoyable, Ryan. Thank you for having me on. For more on Greg, visit his website at gregorygorelick.weebly.com. Once again, that's Gorelick. Dot weebly dot com. Weebly is spelled W-E-E-B-L-Y. You can also read some articles that Greg has written at quillette.com. That's Q-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E dot com. And if you would like to hear even more about evolutionary psychology, check out episode one of this podcast with Dr. Todd Shackelford. Don't forget to follow the Why Do We Do That Facebook page for updates and additional content. Also, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram at Why Do We Do That Podcast. Also, Twitter at WDWDTPod. Once again, that's WDWDTPod on Twitter. You can also email me at Why Do We Do That Podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Dr. Ryan Moyer, hoping you found some answers to the question, why do we do that? <laughs> <laughs>